I, I don't know about you, but um, that reading seems really strange. And yet, at the same time, I think it speaks really powerfully about what we're looking at this afternoon. It's about life change. Um, I was, I've, two things have really struck me this past week. I was reading a newspaper article, and I was reading a, a novel. I'll go through the first one. The novel that I was reading was a John Grisham novel. Um, he's the courtroom dramas, all of that kind of stuff. Uh, it's called The Street Lawyer, uh, and it starts with a guy who's uh, really high-powered, working 10, 12, 14 hours a day, six, seven days a week, uh, in a law office in America, uh, and then all of a sudden, on one particular morning, his life changes and his perspective on life changes massively. He ends up being held hostage uh, with a group of other lawyers uh, by a homeless guy, uh, and the homeless guy ends up being shot by the police. That's not a spoiler for the story. Uh, it go, that's within the first chapter or so. And from that moment on, the whole of his life changed. The way he viewed things, the way he thought about things. Uh, I guess for many of us, we've been through those kind of experiences. A moment in life that changes everything. The other article that I was reading was in the newspaper. And it was about a guy who was, he was writing autobiographically. He was writing very personally about his own experience uh, as a younger man in losing his wife. His wife had died just previously. Uh, and in this article, he was writing in one of the national newspapers, he was writing about suddenly going into work just seemed so second class, so comparatively unimportant, because the whole of his life had changed. Everything in life was now seen through a different lens, a lens which he'd never expected. And I suppose both of those, one's fiction, one's fact, both of those remind me, I guess, that, that that's how we are in this world. Uh, there are very often events that come along and they hit us and they grab us and they change life from this moment on. And the other interesting thing is we don't have a choice when they come and hit us, do we? We think that we are in a particular pathway, we're going down a particular direction, we know where we are, and then very often we can just suddenly end up in a completely different and unexpected direction. That's the story of this guy, his name's Paul, although if you were really observant, congratulations, really well done, as he recounts the story, he describes himself as Saul. So he's, he's called Paul at the beginning, he's Saul later on. Uh, as he recounts the story. His name was originally Saul, and after his conversion to faith in Jesus, he was, his name was, he was called Paul. His name was changed uh, to Paul. It's his moment of dramatic change. I just want to note three things uh, as we have a quick look at the text. Paul was, uh, uh, is a massively important uh, feature in the message of the Bible. Um, if, you've, if you're not too clear on the Bible, the Bible's in two bits. There's the Old Testament and there's the New Testament. The Old Testament has everything that goes on before Jesus uh, and everything that prepares for Jesus. And then the New Testament talks about everything from Jesus onwards. Um, and Paul is, is writing 
or he's a major con contributor to what was written afterwards. In fact, he was given the job, particularly, of spreading the message of Jesus to people who were at that time called Gentiles. Uh, the world was pretty much split into two groups, the Jews and the Gentiles. Uh, those who believed in the God of the Old Testament and those who, who didn't. Then Jesus turned up and Paul uh, became a messenger of this Jesus to people who weren't Jews. If you're a Jew here today, you would have been considered as Jewish. And then many of us who, who, were not, who are not of Jewish heritage, we would be considered Gentiles. In fact, for lots of us here this afternoon, we're here because of the message that Paul spread to the Gentiles. But here's what changed for Paul. He, they heard him speak. He's recounting this story to a group of people. He says, I was a Jew born in Tarsus of Cilicia, but brought up in this city. I studied under Gamaliel and was thoroughly trained in the law of our ancestors. I was just as zealous for God as any of you are today. I persecuted the followers of this way to their death, arresting both men and women, throwing them into prison as the high priest and all the council can themselves testify. I even obtained letters from them to their associates in Damascus and went there to bring these people as prisoners to Jerusalem to be punished. First thing that we see about Paul, he was absolutely convinced of what he knew in his mind was true. He was absolutely convinced that this Jesus was a fraud, a charlatan, and somebody who was absolutely right that he was killed. He was utterly convinced his worldview was shaped like that. Absolutely sure. In fact, he was so sure that his life ended up reflecting what he was convinced of. He was so committed to that view that not only did he round up people who were talking about Jesus, have them thrown into prison, have them killed, he also was sent as, if you like, um, out into to gather in, in our language of today, he was sent to gather refugees to bring them back to throw them into prison. That's the kind of thing that he was sent to do. That's what he's talking about when he says, I was sent to Damascus. People who believed in Jesus, who fled from persecution, from his persecution, he then chased after to bring them back. That's somebody who is utterly convinced that the message of Jesus is wrong. I find that really interesting. I find it really interesting because here we are 2,000 or so years later, and there are people um, who are absolutely in the same camp as Paul. I, I find, I love those conversations. I have lots of conversations uh, with people who don't believe what I believe, and they're great conversations. Uh, I don't think I've ever yet managed to fall out with anybody up to now, but please, you know, I try. We'll we'll be you know friendly conversation afterwards. Please don't beat me up. Um, people who think, Do you know, Paul, you're an idiot. That, Paul, me, you're an idiot. If you really think this Jesus is real, uh, there is a worldview which we are shaped by. And I understand that, and I respect that worldview. I respect that in the world that we live in today, the idea of believing in Jesus is really quite bizarre and really quite strange, relatively speaking, because we are fixed in a particular way of viewing the world. I guess that's very often shaped by our, by our ideas of science uh, and how we feel in one 
frame of mind that science has disproved the idea of God. Uh, on the other hand, I think all of us, interestingly, are becoming less and less sure about science. I find it really funny. Um, I won't ask for a show of hands, uh, but who's done a diet uh, up to now in, in their life? I, I, I'll put my hand up on behalf of everybody else. Uh, and then I find out that actually uh, the diet that I was doing a few years ago is no longer what I should be doing because the scientists who were telling me all of that stuff was really bad uh, a few years ago are now telling me all of that stuff that's really bad is now really good. And I should actually be eating fats. Uh, and I should actually, you know, fats are now good for us. Sugar is the major challenge. I fa that's fascinating. I, I'm no dietitian. So please don't listen to me. Don't say, go and do what he says. Not at all. But I find it interesting that we're ever changing the things that we think we're so sure on. It's an interesting world that we live in, isn't it? Paul was like that. He was absolutely sure. He was convinced. He was really smart and he'd studied. He studied under a man called Gamaliel. That tells us that not only was he convinced because he was born into it, but he absolutely committed himself to learning about it. And his worldview, that's what it is. So he gets this letter to travel to Damascus to grab the refugees, to bring them back, to imprison them, and to kill them. That's what was going on at that time in the history of the church. As he's traveling, that, uh, we see something dramatic happen. So the first thing that we see is he is utterly convinced the second thing that we see is what he is convinced of is turned upside down, not by him. His view of life is turned upside down. About noon, as I came near Damascus, suddenly, the same city as Damascus as we know of today, so he's traveled quite some distance. Suddenly a bright light came from heaven, flashed around me. I fell to the ground and heard a voice say to me, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? I asked. One of the things about Gamaliel, one, we don't know a great deal about him, but there's various other people who've written about him outside of the Bible. One of the things that we do know about Gamaliel is he was um, primarily uh, involved in the ideas of how the message of God's law worked out in our lives. He was a legal guy. And that's really reflected in the way that Paul speaks and thinks. He's a really sharp, logical thinker. Uh, when you read some of the stuff that he writes later on, whether you agree with him or not, it is breathtaking, the logic in, the, in, in which he writes. He is a logical, legal thinker, really smart guy. And then something happens which turns over his view of what is real. Something supernatural occurs when he has been convinced up to now of everything that is natural. What happens is there is a dramatic bright light that shines around and he hears a voice. And you, you straight away, I understand. Here we are, 21st century Yorkshire. 
and we're thinking bright lights, voices, what, what this is, what's going on here? Here's the thing. What Paul sees at that moment in time, if I can put it like this, is he suddenly realizes that everything that we know, everything that we trust in, and everything that we believe in is not restricted simply to what we can see. There is something bigger, there is something greater, there is something supernatural about what is real. That's a massive thing, isn't it? And you'd say, well, I'm not sure about that. Well, let's just take it on a step. I think for lots of us, we want to think that there is something more than just the physical stuff, don't we? We want to believe that there is something which is, if I use the word spiritual, it's something which is not constrained by this world. We know that when we talk about things like love or loss or even bereavement. The guy who I referred to earlier who's talking about losing his wife. I find it really poignant the way he writes about not wanting to believe that that's the end. There is something in us which resonates. It it kind of, it feels something when we think about something bigger and more than just us. One of the things that I found fascinating is uh, the difference in conversation between people who are my age, older, and people who are younger. For lots of us who are in our 50s, we've been kind of shaped by the scientific, convincing world. We grew up in school with it. That's what we're committed to. We're shaped by it. We think like that. What I find absolutely fascinating, and lots of you in here are in this generation, there is far more of an acceptance. There is far more of an understanding that there are things that might be true that we can't explain, that we can't describe that we don't really know, that we can't prove in a laboratory, that there are things outside of us that is greater than us. I, I, I find it amazing. We live in a generation, somebody wrote in the newspaper of, uh, last year, I think it was, we live in a generation which is more spiritual than it has been in decades. Interesting, isn't it? The question is, Which spiritual is true? Here's the thing. So here we've got a guy, he's utterly convinced of something, then something supernatural breaks in and shakes his world. Everything that he previously had as a foundation gets changed. The third thing is this. He asks, who are you, Lord? And the answer is, I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom you are persecuting. The final and third thing is this. Jesus changes everything. So he's convinced of one thing, something rocks him, and then he gets a reply, which is Jesus changes everything. He is on his way to arrest people, imprison people, 
take their possessions, kill people, because they're proclaiming this Jesus. That's where he's headed to. I hate these people. I want them off the face of the planet. They're a disgrace. They're a horror. They're turning people to a completely ridiculous, crazy idea that this Jesus, who we say we killed, they say he came back to life, and he hears a voice which says, I am Jesus of Nazareth. Now that is either true, dramatic, and life-changing, or Paul is delusional. There's the two options. It's one of those two. He's either delusional or it's true. Uh, The outcome of Paul's life, the end of his life, in, in just the most amazing irony, in one sense, is Paul who was a persecutor and a killer of people who were followers of Jesus, Paul ended up dying because he was a follower of Jesus. In other words, this one event in his life was so dramatic, so significant, and he was so convinced of it that he was willing to die for it himself. I don't know what you believe in. I don't know what convinces you. But in a court of law, the things that convince us are witnesses. And that's what Paul is. He becomes a witness to the idea that Jesus, who was dead, is alive. This Jesus, the one who we nailed to a cross, the stories that they talked about him are true. He did die. He did go into a grave. He did rise again. And what's more, he is now living in a dimension outside of our view and understanding. A supernatural, eternal dimension. That, for Paul, changes everything. I find that an amazing little story. But what's the outcome? Well, the outcome is quite dramatic. He goes to a a town, uh, and a man called Ananias, who is already prepared by God to meet him, meets with Paul, and he says to him, The God of our ancestors has chosen you to know his will and to see the righteous one and to hear words from his mouth and you will be his witness to all people of what you have seen and heard. Paul, you who were a killer are now going to be a witness. Your life in one moment is going to do a full 180. You are heading in one direction and you are completely, completely turned around. It's just the most dramatic change in a life. The person who you would least expect to be a proclaimer of Jesus becomes a proclaimer of Jesus. And now, he says, what are you waiting for? Get up, be baptized, and wash your sins away, calling on his name. That's a great... That's one of the reasons that we're looking at this. What is this all about that we're talking about this afternoon and doing and observing? It's quite simply this. And this is what Paul does. And this is what Nikki and Ellie are going to do in a few minutes. 
they are going to... He, Paul makes a statement by what he does. Not by words, by what he does. He acts out what he believes. He says, I believe that that Jesus who was alive, was killed, was raised back to life, and is now living in heaven. That's what I believe. And what's more, I know that I need to be forgiven of my sins by Him. But I do believe that. I believe that I am forgiven by Him, and I am going to display that by being baptized. In a few minutes, Nikki and Ellie are going to get into this uh, water, and what looks in cultural kind of observance today as a really strange thing is going to be enacted out. It's happened, just to remind us, this has happened for the past 2,000 years. It's a display of what we believe. As they get into the water, it's a picture of me being what I was like when Paul was on his way to Damascus. It's a picture of me saying that I didn't believe. But when I go into the water, I then, in one sense, it's a picture of me being in Jesus, because Jesus did what? He lived, he died, he lived again. He returned and was eternally alive. And that's what baptism is. It says, I lived in one way, but then I died to that way. And when we go into the water, it's a picture of us, in a sense, it's displaying that I'm saying I've died to the old me. And there's a new me that comes to life. And the new me is no longer all about me. It's all about Jesus. That is what this is. I've conducted loads of baptisms over the years, and one of the things that I find quite amazing is the way that we find it surprisingly moving. Because we suddenly realize that what they are doing is incredibly and profoundly important to those individuals. It is their way of saying to us, this is what I believe. I believe that I am now forgiven. I believe that I have been, I have died in Jesus, and I believe that I live in Jesus. 2,000 years ago, Paul did it. And for all of the years since, in all sorts of different ways, different ways of doing it, different ways of describing it, the church has been doing it. I'm really excited about the next few minutes because it connects us to events all that time ago. But it's exactly the same statement. It's saying, this is what I believe. I believe that Jesus lives. 